Welcome to the second season of the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we will now be exploring the exciting and fast-growing world of esports. We will be interviewing a variety of professional esports players, coaches, and stakeholders in order to better understand the psychological demands of competing at the elite level and the important role the mind plays in esports performance. Today we welcome Connor, Connie, Aubrey to the podcast. Connie is currently the events coordinator at Lions Creed and hosts a variety of COD tournaments in the UK. Connie has also studied an economics degree and has played competitive esports for The Guardian, competes in the EEG Season 2 Call of Duty League. Connie has also coached for Team Train Hard Esport and was an analyst uh, at Team Singularity's Call of Duty team. Connie also has experience as a host, having hosted the Challenger Cup, University of Chichester's first student-run CSGO esports event. So let's welcome Connie to the podcast. But there we go. Now you can see me. Yeah. There we go. So, I'm not used Zoom before ever, ever. And that's embarrassing to say. But... Never use Zoom. Oh my God. <laughs> no, never use Zoom. Come on. Reason. Our, lessons, yeah. our lessons were always in Discord. And I use Discord regardless. So I was quite lucky. I avoided that whole trend before it came around. Yeah, it's so funny because like when we did like our podcast with traditional sports athletes, like they were sort of used to Zoom. But as soon as we entered like the esports space and sort of talking to players and coaches, they never use Discord. Uh, sorry, Zoom. Like you said, they always use Discord. All the yeah, time. it's just easier. It's a lot easier to use a app and walk around. But uh, yeah. Zoom was Zoom was my mum's baby during work. So <laughs> yeah, battle teams. Yeah, to be fair, we, we did try and record the podcast before on uh, on Discord, but we it was having some troubles with the uh, recording sort of bot that you have to like get into the waiting room with you. Um, <laughs> it was pretty, uh, yeah, not trustworthy. So yeah. <laughs> we've uh, just stuck with Zoom, but we really want to maybe move to a different platform that's a bit higher quality because we're sort of limited um, in terms of video um, for the quality of Zoom, yeah. um, no matter like what camera you've got, so... Yeah, it's a bit uh, limiting. <clears throat> but, uh, I feel but, that. But no, how's uh, how's your week been? Have you been busy in the new year? Yeah, so um, in my life, um, I've been casting um, Call of Duty Challenges, which is like tier two of uh, COD Esports. Um, the European uh, the European elites are up. So the elites is basically like um, a series of well, basically five tournaments in the year, five little majors before champs. And the prize pool for Europe is $50,000. So we've been commentating over that right now. We're in the playoff section. So but the last one um, is on the 26th of January. But I had to do yesterday's split for about five, six hours on broadcast. So I'm kind of knackered yeah. from doing all that. Um, and I've also got today as well two meetings with um, two different companies for two lands, one in February and one in April. So I can be a stage host for those two events when they eventually rock up right now just lots of meetings and planning really but uh that's about it oh and two uni assignments as well that was what i had to do as well yeah oh, wow. some things are just funneling into the brain at different points so yeah. yeah no yeah i suppose um for the listeners to maybe get to know you a bit better we have introduced you but give us a bit of a an overview of your like story from growing up to where you are now how you got involved in the job that you're in currently and uh sure and, and, yeah yeah my name is um connor connor or clear Connor, Connie Aubrey. That's that's what I go by. But um, I'm a stage host and presenter in esports. A broadcaster is 
the best term I could use. Um, growing up, I was pretty much, I was very into gaming growing up, to be fair. I started playing when I was around five or six, um, competitively, competitively around five or six. Um, although that was in FIFA at the time, it was football. So that was like yeah. FIFA 7, FIFA 8. Um, but I'd say I've always been involved in games for ages of like three to four. I played CS 1.6. Um, played other like Resident Evil, for example. Lots of different titles on the computer. But um, during school, um, I had the opportunity as well to get involved in other activities, you know, just socializing, getting, socializing, going out, living a good life. But from the ages of, let's say, 3 to 11, I was very much at football. Loved football. I uh, loved yeah. boxing. Loved dancing as well. Um, okay. From the ages of 12 onwards, I discovered Call of Duty. Call of Duty is a game that I've been playing now for 10 years. <laughs> um, and I... Um, I got really addicted to it. I think the first one I ever got was World at War, um, but I got that a few years later. What a game. Yeah, World at War, then Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I stuck to the chronological order. So then I went to um, Black Ops, then I went to Modern Warfare 3, and then just stuck it for every game since then. Um, mm. But I'd, um, the reason I got into it was at school, my friends were playing it. So we were in a French lesson, and at the time, all I had on my computer was Minecraft. Which was kind of funny yeah. <laughs> and um i was like i, I need something to play and like well if you want you can play advanced warfare it's come out like i know you like cards but you haven't played verse before and i was like okay i'll do it and then um i'd just play pubs with them i'll play like casual play and i'd stomp them i'd stomp everyone in the lobby i think i got I think one day i got two nukes in a day um of 10 hour playing and they were like right how how did you get that good without playing with people? I was like, well, I'll just watch YouTube videos and know how to oh, how to move around. Yeah, yeah, just simple application. Nothing, nothing, nothing stressful. But you're really good for what age we are. Like the pros are like few years old, and you know, I was like, okay, well, guess I'm not far behind. <laughs> I was like really yeah. naive. I was really like not 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 cocky, I'd say, but I was I refused to accept that I um that I had like that sort of level um at that early on. Who did, um, who did you used to watch by by interest like on yeah. YouTube? Like who were the YouTubers you used to watch? I remember old, I I watched first off Codwise. The first ever one was a guy called Golden Glove TV. I was on Black Ops Two because he'd do sniping, and then he played against a guy called Scump ah. in a Black Ops Two pub. And then I started watching Scump. And then sounds it familiar. <laughs> yeah, I know he's retired now. It's yeah, so yeah, sad no, to see. No, no. That's had a huge uh, impact on the scene for sure. Yeah. Fourteen years in it, it's such it's just mental to think about. Since he was I've like, been, I've been watching the scum since yeah. yeah, I was eleven, twelve, when I started watching him. Yeah, it's just not no. fair. So many YouTubers I've watched like from early on. Like, some of the, what's your favorite game title in COD? Like, what was your what was your favorite one? Advanced Warfare. To answer your oh, question, oh, right? No, so I'm disappointed. I'm really disappointed at that. Oh no, but I understand why because the obvious answer would be Black Ops Two or Modern Warfare Three. That those were the two good concurrent years of like pub play. Like the whole Black Ops for me them. was like unreal. Like Black Ops oh. Three was probably my best COD. Uh, oh, like, and that, that was that's what everyone else says. It was the best competitive yeah. one of all time. I love I love that game. Regards. Just the whole like design the maps like. That was when I started to drop hundred bombs. Like that's probably the the peak for me when I was dropping hundred <laughs> bombs. But yeah, nah. But put some respect on MW two. Like that game. Oh my god, it was. I don't so... think I was at my peak of my powers back then, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. uh, such a good game. Like the graphics were so good for you know. It's literally ah. Uh, Do you want to know why I wasn't bothered? John, I was six years, seven years old when MW two came out. I found out about it when I turned eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like. 11 11 12 so yeah it's like peak obviously teenage gaming when, when was you born me 
that's fine everyone in my year at uni is 2003 and 2004 there's a there's one guy though who's 30 years old and i'm kind of concerned as to why he's doing an esports degree but we let him vibe <laughs> i mean he's, he's just having a good time regardless um back to the story so where mm -hmm. were we um we're talking about um i think playing pubs and getting really good yes so that's fine um and this, is advanced, this is advanced warfare this is six months into the game i started playing it like every day i unlocked royalty camo which was the max uh i then went to 30th prestige i then started doing clan wars which basically was the tech version of competitive it was very pub friendly but basically you're going to pubs and like a six-man team and then you get points um it was, it was basically rbg pubs so that you get it's like a point-based system where we've got loads of kills and one matches and you've got points and then over time about six hours of playing the highest points on the ladder won and got all these like, armors unlocked and we did that and we got it got everything pretty much in advanced warfare and i was like right well i've done everything on the pub side competitive has been always like mentioned like, i've done game battles i've probably I actually went to game battles it's interesting because um i probably started off game battles 10 and 30 on the ladder i was really bad at game battles but after um i finished all the pub grinding and stuff i was like you know i'm gonna give it a go i'll find a duo from school and we'll just play gbs yeah. advanced warfare and we did me and my friend ben we went from 10 and 30 to finishing the ladder like 60 and 50 i think overall. so it was very average but the, the progression was pretty insane from that point to this point so it was quite noticeable regardless of the overall score now i started watching more of scum and then i started watching mlg because at the time call of Duty, it was very much an mlg thing but i need to be really like historically aware of like where cod came from because i came in advanced warfare and i felt like it was halfway through like cod's peak life cycle so i had to watch like loads of like black ops 3 video sorry <laughs> black ops 2 videos uh mw3 videos in the like egl8 egl7 blackpool um then I watched loads of um, Call of Duty Ghost videos, like the X Games. That's what really like turned me into like competitive. Like these guys are winning gold medals in the X Games, playing games, yeah. and I love the X Games from the skateboarding perspective. I was like, you know what? I'll give it a crack. I never reached that point, <laughs> but I did want to give it a good crack. And um, yeah, that's Warfare I turned competitive. Uh, I'd say around February time, I played lots of Gfinity events, uh, online events, uh, lots of MG tournaments, UMG tournaments, just anything I get my hands on really. And I think I earned about $3,000 in five months, the age of 13, 14, oh, wow. which, yeah. <laughs> which was good. <laughs> yeah. Better That's than a paper round. <laughs> oh, I know, it was, it was, it was criminal to think of. Um, but I started getting noticed a little bit and my teams um, were very much like nowhere near the pro level though still. We were just doing lots of wages and we were doing a fair amount of content as well to keep, you know, the money coming in at a, a reasonable pace. Um, so then, that's what at the end of the year, I went to my first LAN that was in Somnia 55. I was at the Rico Arena. I remember it really well in Coventry. Um, that's where we went uni to start with before we went look for it. Coventry um, shirt just there behind me, <laughs> representing. <laughs> Oh, it's delivered some great memories of mine, Coventry. We give it a great smile, a little, a little shinwag here and there. Um, but um, yeah, no, I was at Rico and I was 14, fully 14 years old at the time. And I had a team together. Originally, my team was uh, not meant to go to this event because the company we had enraged, their second team pulled out and then picked us up. 
two days before. So literally they took all their credentials off the hotels and travel and gave it to us. So we were just shitting ourselves, getting to Coventry thinking like, well, what, there's just train tickets in his name and I'm not this person. They asked for my ID and it was like a huge scare at the time. But we all got to Coventry, got to hotels, checked out absolutely fine. And it's two day event, prize pool's around 5,000 uh, pounds. First place got like three grand and then it'd be like a grand, 750, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're in top four, you got prize in. And I finished top six. <laughs> I was this close to winning money at my first event offline, but it wasn't really the end of the world, to be fair, because um, other than that, I witnessed the guys that I played against and who won the event. The team that won the event, uh, two pros are in the CDL right now and two retired. I lost to somebody called Ben Bantz, and David right. Davies. Ben Bantz is in Toronto Ultra and Dave Davies was an Epsilon in World War II. They're very much like high caliber athletes yeah they've been in call of duty for they're still competing in challenges but ben is on the uh, minnesota rocket right now and just give me incentive of like these guys are like 19 20 i'm 14 15 i've still got years to go a long time to go but the biggest problem that was talked about at the end of advanced warfare was the age limit coming in because the league was switching from just regular mlg to the cod world league to try and make it more commercial. And in fairness, for the long term, it was so healthy for Call of Duty's ecosystem and life, like live blood, because um, the World League was revered as like one of the best things from like 2016 to like 2019 when it was around. I mean, everyone loved watching COD at that point. But um, the only problem is, is that youngsters could not compete because there was an 18 plus age limit coming in, and I was 14. So I couldn't compete again until Black Ops 4, which was three to four years later. So in that time, well, I, I just loads of sports, loads of sports, um, lots of football, lots of boxing, did lots of elite fights at boxing at a high level, uh, did Golden Glove. I was very happy with that and um, lived a relatively happy social life, but still watched card. I still watched it religiously. Um, every esports that I tried to get into, like casually, was League of Legends. It didn't go too well. Um, <laughs> I had, did not have the the mental span to watch twenty minutes of League. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, guys. Um, Woohoo. Um, I tried getting to CS, which was mildly successful. I, mean, I think CS is really fun to watch from a technical standpoint because the uh, tactical awareness of it all is really applicable to card because we have three game modes and one of them is attack mode called S&D. Yeah. And CSGO basically is extended, like warped S&D for a much longer period of time. But it really is basically about... Um, applying the ability of strat countering and mental awareness from that into a much more condensed version a much more faster version so cs was a lot of fun to watch and when i think about the time that i watched cs i think verse pro was still really good and that was like 2014 2015 so yeah now I look at cs and the way it is now it's just uh lots changed lots changed but i can't add too much onto that yeah no we uh we went to dream our first dream hack uh, in Jungshop in in November and uh, there was loads of CS being played there and like I because we are like COD players like in terms of like the the game that we play the most is Call of Duty um, mm. so like watching CS I think we related to it like a lot more than other games because of that similarity to sort of S and D but sort of yeah the the tactics like what you mentioned like oh, there's so much that goes into it I'd love to be like, I'd love to hear what they're talking about, you know, instead of just hearing sometimes the caster, like, I'd love to hear what the comms are going on. Um, mm. That'd be so cool to see. But, like, I've, I've gone into, like, scum streams before and, like, listen to them scrim. 
and uh yeah the constant communication it's uh you'll um you'll learn as well oliver that cod is only the second loudest game uh halo is the worst for communication um halo is the most demanding teamwork esport of all time like they make loads of comparisons to cod and halo as console esports um based on like you know which one's harder to do the argument's always been settled as this call of duty has a high skill halo has a higher teamwork skill ceiling so when you're playing cod you can have like moments of individual brilliance and it shows in four pieces five pieces uh, extended kill streaks um turn-ons flashy plays or like you know just extended periods of pure flow state the problem with um with that is is that some teams can get lost in that and not win based on simple fundamentals you know just forgetting the basics halo simply drills basics and fundamentals oh and that as well there's no non-respawn mode in halo you have like slayer you have capture the flag you have oddball um and strongholds right then all these of literally score point systems. Slayer's the only one really that requires a little bit of individual experience because it's more kill based, but the other three are all score points. So teamwork or a level of teamwork is required, like playing in handball or netball or baseball or hockey. Those sports come to mind in my head. That's pretty based on the, the objective at hand. You can't really apply it to boxing because it's very one-to-one. -one. You can't apply it to football because football's got lots of intangibles as well that wouldn't really cross over well uh, based yeah. on, you know, man marking, team shouting, which wouldn't fit in Halo. Maybe COD. COD's quite loud, like you said, but Halo is, um, yeah, it's just very teamwork orientated and the, they don't stop talking for about 30 minutes. Yeah, I've always thought League of Legends would be a lot worse. Um, well, I actually read a study on League of Legends communication and uh, there was talking about how the constant communication is better specifically in league of legends like constant communication is better than effective communication just to keep that constant like chatter going um in terms of like being concentrated on the game but it varies from game to game i'd be interested in seeing more studies around that on how the communication varies across games um but yeah no cod is uh from what i've seen like specifically when like watching hardpoint for example like that is just non-stop communication Okay, well, Hardpoint, I can delve into a little bit more. Hardpoint over the years has gone from looking really good and killing lots of people to a very much a chess match. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Hardpoint over the years, you've got five hills. It's always been the standard one, five rotations. And let's say a game that's like 250 to 200 lasts around 12 to 13 hills. You ideally need to break the hard point down into three segments. The first 20 seconds, the middle and the last. The first 20 seconds is usually a contest fest. Everyone's fighting to get in. And then teams, whether they win that, try and play hold setups to try and push out, keep the spawns as far away as possible for the other team from the hill for the next 40, right? And they always have one or two in there playing defense. Playing defense is so hard to do because some players, like you said, those high kill players, those flashy players, they despise sitting in the hill naturally uh, but some players the really good dynamic ones can adjust to that on the fly and can, can hold the hill down single-handedly by themselves and also give the right communication to get ready for the next hill send the right amount of players off to the next objective and reinforce you know the good the good winning strategies you need because there's two mind states when you're playing hard point playing to win and playing not to lose yeah so interesting like the way you break it down like I, I want to know, I want to sort of dive into each game mode that's in competitive COD. Sure. And we can do our ones if you want as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see if you could delve out the um, required qualities, like psychological qualities you feel are essential in each different game mode. Could do you think you could do that? Do you think that's a valid question? Yeah, sure. Okay.
Let's do okay. it. Here we go. Um, so I'll, I'll go first off into this. Uh, the personality types to be a professional Call of Duty player are very different to that of a League of Legends player or a CSGO player. Uh, Call of Duty is a game that demands a lot of variety in a short space of time. Um, you have literally the series here. You can play five maps in an hour and a half compared to League of Legends, where it's literally 45 minutes to an hour for each game at some times. If you watch Worlds 2022, even that was like four or five hours for the grand final. It was incredible to watch, but my God, cop players can't do that. Mm. So these guys have a limited, I'd say, um, undiagnosed ADHD complex where they can literally be fast and twitchy and on the ball, but make really good micro decisions on the spot. That literally, but not nine percent of the time, that can result in a great play or a good or or a good call. You also need to have, I think, Call of Duty as well. Depends personality. Whenever you're watching Call of Duty montages or like events, they're very, very loud. They like to shout at people. They love to get in heads. It's very much psychological warfare. The only problem is now is in the modern day of Call of Duty, not everyone gets as tilted as back in the day when you were psyching them out playing a game. Even when you were loud and you were shouting absolute wass in the ear, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't bother you now as much because you know your skill ceiling. It's very much a comfort sport. You know how good you are. No, no one's really going to ever get in the way of that. You only really start to lose for, lose a bit of um, confidence is when you start making plays wrong yourself. Of course, it's not annoying having a person in your ear, even on your team, whatever team shouting, like you guys aren't doing it right, but you'll quickly adjust to it and get good. And that's at the very top level, um, tier one, the high tier two. Um, just, so, just, to, just to stop you there. Now that we're on the topic, like, what, what's your kind of thoughts on, like, obviously trash talking and sort sure. of within this, within the space? Because COD is very much like oh, yeah. popularized because of that, because it's obviously a form of entertainment. But where's like that line? Where, where do you think it sort of is? The, does there need to be a line in your eyes, or the line's already there? <laughs> yeah, lots of players have generalized consumptions like if someone's being outrageously weird and saying weird shit then it's, it's a rather group, group collective to just let them be cancelled out in their own time because the general population of top tier cod we will shout a bit of shit we will get a bit loud and we will never get personal across the line of making remarks on family or anything like that because we just want to talk about how bad they are at this game that literally is the cut. That is the cake that we're cutting into them. How bad they are at COD. Doesn't really relate to any of the factors. And if they even do reach to like external factors and people start pulling them in, obviously it's more on them. It's weird. Like we, we, we're smart enough to realize that it's just not, um, you know, it is, it is not right. We wouldn't ever press that issue further down the line because again, like I said to you, John, it is just a case of you're out of the game. Yeah. So if they, game. yeah, yeah, just, Keep it in game, nothing personal. No, um, I know, but it can be, but it's obviously exaggerated in person whenever yeah, you're watching yeah, yeah. it because they love to get in, get involved. Oh, and, and it's also a really good feeling. You feel a great sense of euphoria when you're shagging at people playing God. This, this, uh, this, this, this stems from the casual side to when you're finishing a nine to five, you're getting on for two hours on a bit of team deathmatch, you know, you're loading in, the sniper class is already up, you're killing people. You're shouting there in your little lounge chair, and it's great. Um, but when you're on the professional level and you're trying to reach the um, when you're in a pro level, when you're doing it, it's very different. Like you just literally know that you're on every possible wave to do well. Um, even when you're doing bad, I've, I've, there's a player called Draza in pro in the pro team. He he's now world champion. He won it with Valley Thieves in 2022. Um, he is the highest confidence player, no matter what the game state he's in. I've ever seen in my life. 
he is shouting at people saying shit on you're bad even when he is getting shit on and doing really <laughs> bad and it's almost unironic because when you look into his eyes you look at his mentality he doesn't give a damn he, he's not he's not focused at all he's completely not focused on any external factors other than what's in front of him he is calling out of course so that really shows that's like a telltale sign as to how concentrated you are even when you're getting really bad you are he's very concentrated um he's also trying to reset his mind to the point where he's going back to shitting on people again during the game so he says it over and over again it's down to the patience of his teammates overall to actually go like what the fuck is zach doing <laughs> but it does work and it showed because he won a championship based on that um that sort of style he literally he actually sort of like curved away of overconfidence but making sure that his ability was not reflecting that gameplay you know yeah so, so yeah like if you was to carry on about the sort of mental qualities of each game mode like sure okay hard point yeah, yeah hard, hard point, point requires like uh, i'll compare it to studying for a really hard exam you have to study for two weeks beforehand before you even touch writing it you know like stop writing out an essay or doing the exam yeah. just lots of lots of lots of studying lots of video watching um so personality wise you require a lot of a, a very like um a short fuse yet high patience kind of person someone that could that snaps anything that's wrong but can also look at the full picture on a large scale and paint a really clear picture for the entire team get everyone on the same page in one mindset um whether that be in the right decision or the wrong decision they have to be aligned to that one person so leadership qualities are very 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 good there um for s d obviously you guys would think patience i don't really think patience at this point now because s d anyone can play and call of duty is really fast so you can play to csgo valorant and set patience is key call of duty you just need to learn um the maps you need to learn your environment for s d because that will benefit you the most when you're going through um let's say some of the hardest parts of the game mode where you are literally in 1v2 1v3 um where you can actually use cover or use like you know, glitch spots in the map or head glitches or weaponry even snipers just to just you know isolate gunfights win them and then try get objective but it's all about environment and understanding timing how much time in the clock how much you can work with that time and how much information you have to know where everyone is even when there's no sign of them it really is a lot of thought process control um controls controls an interesting one there isn't really any set psychological state for it because it's a mixture of s and d and team deathmatch yeah. there's it's, it's 30 lives either side um, when you're getting into the search and destroy aspect of it all, when you're down to five lives aside, you literally switch from playing team deathmatch to STD, sorry, STD, to S and D. And, don't worry. Yeah. So you're playing S and D, um, which can be quite hard on the mentality because some people are still playing really aggressive from the team deathmatch. And some people literally are too scared to move up a corner because they're scared they overextend from their original like frying state. And it's another complex of like the argument of, um, playing confident or playing scared there's they need to, the pro players can link those two mindsets really well in the right time but um yeah okay. when you unlink them and you lose flow for them you get you get blended quite a fair bit mm. um so my best answer for control um I have to Adaptab think. adaptability maybe adaptability is a really good one but i feel like it's more second nature when you're like that yeah. good it's not really yeah. like a thought process like you naturally would adapt like oh well, i'll stop here Someone's saying stop or stop, like you're at a traffic light, right? Yeah. Um, I'd I'd say the best one for control, <laughs> dexterity, probably. Yeah. 
the ability to go really fast and really slow um and it comes down to a lot of like mechanical skill i'd say um but one really good in-game leader as well i'll note this one really good in-game leader can win you a control uh, and lots of setups and lots of practice as well around those setups understanding the spawn system and control is good because hard points their spawns change on rotation controls spawns are the exact same all throughout the map yeah. and on model for two right now in this game there's only two to three spawns either side mm. and you can and the map let's let's take fortress for example our bad graph control um watching that competitive because the, 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 because the map's so small yet so vertical there'll only be two spawns on either side for, for attacking and defending so you literally have two options to play you know a break setup breaking out spawn or you know a trap setup which is where you trap him and it previous cards like black ops 4 because of specialist and abilities you could break out of that really well that's why the control was so fun and so good in black ops 4. in the modern day call of duty without that we have dead silence and trophies and they're more they're more static um abilities of anything uh, dead silence can get you out of like hairy situations and make you you know sleep behind enemy lines and you know capture spawns for a hard point but in control you're just sort of trying to force the way you want to play is you want two strong ars to try and funnel the opposing players onto your smgs whereas in hard point it's more the opposite your smgs force players onto the ars so you're locking okay. down lanes but smgs can just play close quarters combat so effectively mm. so yeah dexterity is obviously the key word for that one and a lot of um in-game leadership like a lot of it you, you being a leader cannot stop talking in control yeah. and uplink that's a fun one from from jetpack era oh uplink. god I have bad memories about that. <laughs> yeah, like literally, I was like one kill away from a uh, hundred bomb, and I was like to my friend, "Don't upload it! Like, please don't upload it. Let me just get." And I kept dying. I kept dying. I kept dying. Like, I couldn't get the kill. And then he uploaded it. And I was like, "You snake!" And I, yeah, well, that's impressive. Game. That's impressive to get hundred kills and uplink because I, 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 my job in uplink wasn't that because oh, you've you brought it up as well to me a little bit. So the roles in Call of Duty, there's an AR and SMG right nowadays. Back then, there was Anchor, there was Flex, and there was Slayer. They were the three roles. So the Anchors would be the, the slowest players, the ARs, and they'd rotate first to spawns. The Flex players could use either gun. The Slayers are purely SMGs that run at people and kill people, right? Um, so I'd imagine you'd be like a Slayer, probably. Someone that's <laughs> like that. that likes to just shoot people, although yeah. it sounds really menacing. Well, yeah, to be fair, yeah. it was just post something. Like, I wasn't playing uh, in terms of strategy. Like, yeah. 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 But is your playstyle also like when we play Warzone, for example, you're very much like the guy that pushes and like yeah, yeah that's getting the action. So, yeah, sounds. Uh, sounds I'll, like I'll, I'll just call it where they are and just sort of pick them off. I'll let yeah. you run in there and funnel them out like a chicken, like a fox and a chicken coop, and I'll just shoot them as they come out. Same. Yeah. I'm more of like, <laughs> I sit back a lot. Like I, I like having that support role rather than being like uh, in the in and amongst it. You know, like mm, I sort I of like you. analyze or scan what's happening, give comms um yeah i understand um my role was a my role in modern call of duty uh is an smg or an entry it's basically i'm the first one in yeah most <laughs> of the time um and i'm really fast so i find a very high swent of oh, swents find a very high sensitivity i hold my controller like it's a claw so i can press oh you played claw yeah. yeah so i can press every button whenever i want switch weapons as fast as i can to make kills when i'm out of ammo and just basically adjust an aim on the fly um it almost Almost like I'm, you know, I'm just sort of like walking on water around the map, or ice skating. Yeah. That's a better term. 
Hi guys, Adri Time. So if you're an esports player, an esports coach, or an esports organization who's simply interested in incorporating psychology support within your system, feel free to reach out. You know, at Mastering the Mind, we provide different types of services, whether it's one-to-one -one support, team support, or educational workshops on the mental side of esports. You know, we really seek to support players and coaches develop the necessary psychological skills to not only enhance their esports performance, but enhance their esports participation experience as well. So whether it's coping with tilt or, you know, coping with the pressure of competition, you know, those feelings of stress and anxiety before a big comp, these are all things that we can help you with. The first session is free of charge, so feel free to reach out. And if you want more information, just visit www.mtmconsultancy.org or just send us a message on our various social media accounts at mtm underscore off. Right, back to the episode. How have you found the, the claw, like, in terms of, because I, I heard that can lead to, like, a couple of problems in terms of... Oh, yeah, of, there's, like, there's, been, there's been many cases where Zuma, for example, had to retire early from hand injury. Yeah. Um, from, and, and Scump's hands as well at 27, they were getting really stiff. Um, of course, the safest, the safest way to play is always this, um, but you'd need to buy a battle beaver or a scuff. And they yeah. can cost $150, and we, not everyone has that. So yeah. I did this on ergonomics and economics. I could not afford a scuff every time because they break yeah. within three months if you play competitive. Um, oh. In Modern Warfare 2019, because of tax sprinting, which is where you press the button yeah. down twice to fully sprint, um, and because auto tax sprint was GA'd, we had to literally buy multiple scuffs throughout the year. I remember Crimsick saying that he paid over three thousand dollars in one year of call of duty on controllers because he broke so many from playing in modern warfare yeah i is know that, is that from raging or no, that's, <laughs> that's from the tech, you know that's crazy no, you, no, no this is strictly competitive here john this is yeah, purely yeah. down to pressing this button this button will break the most um and even that occasionally like a back button will break or a trigger will break or a button will break and you just couldn't shoot it'd be really horrific to play with so yeah he um he he bought like 10 controllers in advance before the years before the years started even so yeah, he spent like thousands so, on controllers. So mouse and keyboard, you'd argue, isn't really the like meta with for pod, would you say? No, you wouldn't. But this has always been a fair, a, a fair fact, right? The mouse is the best aiming tool on the planet. The keyboard is not the best movement tool on the planet. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so whenever I have conversations with guys at my university who are um, high level Valorant players, like Radiance, um, even going to like. Uh, EMCA or whatever like high tier two is over there, right? Cause some of them have gone to like lands, and some of them have gone to game changers, yada, yada, yada. Um, my argument that they were like, oh, what well, go to mouse and keyboard in the future. And I went, it might go to mouse and keyboard. The, the engine is suiting mouse and keyboard more as we go on, but it will always be a controller esport. And they went, why? I went, well, first off, the console origins, the fan base is so strict here that you'd lose out on, let's say, a 50 billion, 100 billion pound market, for example, in casual players. That use a controller because COD is known as a console game, even though it's not on PC and competitive because it's a lot better, it's smoother. It's never going to lose that that sort of touch, that sort of flair. Because at that point, your Activision, you're losing a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> you're switching to um, solely an input and, and for competitive as well because competitive can still make a fair bit of money, even though the sport's been kind of hit or miss with uh, the developers over there in Activision. Um, okay. So what else? That's another one I was going to say. Oh yeah, but. Joysticks, analogs, they are the best movement tools. Uh, because I mean, this is well, I literally would invite a keyboard and mouse pro, Davide. I'll use Davide as an example. He is a Valorant player at my uni. He's radiant. He's very good at that game, but he's also very good at mouse and keyboard. And he can play COD. I went, right, let's, let's 1v1. You can pick any gun you want. Any perks for me. 
And I will show you how good the movement is on controller compared to a keyboard. And I beat him 30 to 5 in a free-for-all. Yes. Uh, and I went to him. And that is solely because I can move around you faster than you can on me. You're jumping into my sight. I can literally slide around you because that's what controls are built for, for sliding around aiming. Uh, whereas on keyboard, you press shift and then control and then you break your pinky. It's literally just one button. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just yeah. that. That's just how it is. So uh, from an ergonomic point of view, um, controller always will be Call of Duty yeah. as far as long-term plans. I've, yeah. I've made it. Uh, I've recently made the switch. So I was very much like a controller player and I've recently, yeah. And what I struggle with the aim is unreal, like I love it. But what I struggle with is like hit fire. So when enemies come too close to me, mm. I panic. Like it, I don't have like this the react like the time I move my mouse. It's like too late. I got better at hit firing. So, oh. Free for alls and solely hit firing bots. <laughs> literally, so I get comfortable. I'd yeah. literally center on bots from the map and then just hit fire. Yeah. That and playing CS:GO, I got so much more comfortable from hit firing than CS:GO because yeah. my center will be better for some reason. And I was telling my friends, Zara, like playing Violet and CS, my game sense has gone up drastically because the skill ceiling in those two games is a million times higher than Call of Duty. It always has been. Yeah. Uh, but that's just down to the salt. That's down to the players that go to those sorts of esports. There's a very high patience of methodical thinking esports. Very, very hindsight. Cod's a lot more free reign. It's a lot more gun ho. Yeah, I need to work on that patience because uh, I don't have that at all. <laughs> um... But I did want to talk to you about. Um, so we mentioned you've mentioned the ecosystem at some point during this pod, uh, and also mm. the money, like in terms of Codless business. Sure. And um, we actually went to a conference, and it was talking about esports sustainability. Which um, one? Which, which event? Esports Research Network. Oh, okay, because I went to ESI and they had one as well. Oh. Yeah. Like they had a roundtable about that. I didn't get yeah. in, obviously, because look at me. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, they did have quite a few of those talks this year. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was it was good to listen to. But obviously, since Scump's like, he, he talked about retiring at the start of the season, obviously now he's retired. How do you think that will impact um, COD as a whole in, in, in terms of competitive? It will devastate it. Yeah, but I saw that it reaction. will not for long because Scump is still, the only reason is because Scump is still attending events and he is still very much involved in competitive as a promoter. Same as Zuma. When Zuma retired in Cold War at the start because of his broken hand, which can answer your question as to why the, it was bad. The reason why you get carpal in your hand as well whenever you play Claw is down to the grip. When you're playing on a controller, when you're playing regularly, you're holding it like that. Claw players are like this most of the time. Mm. So you're overextending a tendon here that runs across one of your wrist bones. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not, I'm not a, a physician, but... It does cause a lot of carpal, a lot of issues, and a lot of thumb stiffness, which really had as well, at, you know, many points throughout this year. I mean, there have been many injuries though, because like lots of players that don't play claw or play claw, mainly the claw ones, they have like thumb injuries, index finger injuries. They even get injuries that musicians have, literally where they get, they get splinters under the skin or boiled, and they form like white balls where literally you can't move your finger. That's happened in Call of Duty to Neptune, I think, in Vanguard. You had to get drained. It's a huge thing. But yeah, no, like in terms of like the ecosystem. Back um, to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what are sort of your thoughts on that? Um, Scump retiring has got card. Good question. Scump has been the sole fuel provider for Call of Duty content and competitive for the last 14 years. You had Nade Shot who left, right? Nade Shot was the only person really that I think could contest him in terms yeah. of what he has done for long-term card content creation. Yeah, especially blending competitive and like casual fun to watch play. Um... 
it's going to be difficult because Nate Shot then went on to find 100 Thieves and he's still involved, very, very, very involved in esports in general, not just card, um, but he's involved in esports. But you can't really associate Cobb with Nate Shot at this point anymore. He's now 100 Thieves owner. I'm more interested to see what happens to Scump. I feel like Scump's going to have a lot of content opportunities, a lot of free time to meet fans, and just be overall more active on YouTube. Because even when he was competing, he was still putting out around 30 or 40 videos a year, which is impressive, right? That's what I found crazy. Like, I, I actually spoke about this at that conference. Like, about the balance because Scump's always been the person that I've watched the most um, out of anyone. And I, it was sort of like the norm for me to see a competitive player combine it with content creation. But like, that's not the norm uh, at all, like across competitive esports. Um, and I was like, why can't players do that? But the demand on them is so high. He was like a, an anomaly sort of in how he's operating. What do you think to that? Um, I just think he's born for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's born for it, Ollie. Um, I will say, though, um, Scump has been doing this for 14 years. When you do a job for 14 years and do it really good for a high level, obviously you can get burnt out. That's why you see him on a vacation or two, every, like, you know, when he's entitled yeah. to an off-season. We've got for, like, a nice long month away in Hawaii. Like, he takes long vacations, so he yeah. does plan for, like, long years of, like, doing this sort of stuff. He loves it as well. He really loves doing this sort of stuff. Um, content, if you've got a really outgoing, extravagant personality, you love making people laugh then content is a career for you because it just is just that <laughs> it, yeah. it's just it's just there's no filter to it um and i just think as well like when it comes to him and how he has done it if you look at his schedule i mean when there's when he's not scrimming five days a week he's doing content for a day or two so he, he, we work seven day seven day weeks for like let's say 300 days yeah that's, that's, that's you, you can talk about burnout all you want I think he probably has some of the best burnout coping strategies of all time. Either that, or he just plans his weeks really well in advance. It's like months. Yeah, we need to get him on a podcast to discuss about that <laughs> stress. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I remember him talking about the Optic House and specifically him 60, and Nature. Yeah, fighting about who who can get online first because they get the most views, like with that day and how bad that got and toxic between themselves. Um, obviously, they squashed it now, but. Yeah, it was getting quite tense. Um, it would do, but COD never gets deep, like I said. It never goes into family or personal things where friendships and relationships can be ended. It literally is solely a competition. That's why COD players struggle with relationships when they retire and like lots of things after and during. They just have no concept of like relaxing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then like maybe to delve a bit more into into you, like you, you did coaching mm -hmm. for, for for a bit. Like how I did yeah. How did you end up in coaching? And sure. also, what are some qualities of a coach you feel uh, make a successful COD coach? Sure. Okay. Um, so we'll advance through the four years of me being a tit and just going on a wonderful time with my friends yeah. during the, the age cap. Black Ops, I came at the end of Black Ops 4, played a bit, and even Modern Warfare played a bit. I then retired in mid Modern Warfare. Um, I finished top 16 on the online and I thought that that was a good enough like swan song placement for me to go you know what now I'm going to coach you seriously because I've been toying with the idea of doing analyst work and coaching in card because I really get the enjoyment of seeing progression in my players um, especially players I can take from like let's say a really low expectation like, top, 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 yeah, top 64 and get into a top 16 because um, on Warfare the only, the only good teams were Team Singularity Team War BDS Obtained the only like the four orcs that could fund people from Europe to America at the time. And um I and this is also during COVID as well, so there's no funding, it's just orcs paying salaries at that point. It's like wow, okay. Um so I retired mid Modern Warfare twenty nineteen, so January, February. 
I then coached from February to April. Uh, May, I had a really good month where we literally played top eight consistently with my team's talent as well. They were like, they were meant to get the top 32. But we were in the same bracket as like the singularity, the team war, you know, the players that salary to play the game and go off and win like, you know, um, challenger events. Um, then it came up one day and I started networking with those coaches. I started networking with Sam Phoenix, Javid Darrell, who are now coaches for Seattle Surge and uh, New York Subliners. That's the current moment in time. And I just started to, you know, just give some ideas on what I thought coaching was. And then they just come back. We'd have very nutritional conversations about like what we thought made a great coach. And our, our, our ideas, which was we, we had to put our players first and dedicate a lot of our time to getting to know what, who they were as people, why they wanted to do Call of Duty for a long time career. Um, what really made them, what, what really got them, you know, like in that flow state, what really got them high on life. Um, as well to keep that mentality for around 11 hours and not get burnt out or tired or any, show any signs of like, you know, athletic shock because <laughs> it is a very much a stressful sport. Um, and then May had a good month, placed well, like I said. And then June time, I got an offer from Sam Phoenix to be Team Singularity's analyst. So I left my team, went on Singularity. I joined them in one Warfare. And then the, with two events left, we got top four in the first event, which was my best placement at that point of all time. And then we got second at champs in 2020 and we won $28,000 for the team. And I was like, okay, I think I want to do this. I'm quite good at being an analyst and being an assistant coach. Um, and then going into my Black Ops Cold War, we then switched coach because Phoenix went back to NA to that region. Um, we then brought in Javid Darrell and two new players because Insight that year got picked up for Toronto Ultra. He got signed for a pro team. And we were just kind of building around, but Black Ops Cold War was arguably my worst year as a coach and as an analyst because we did not achieve what we set out to do. It very much was a case of the team just sort of collapsed under pressure. We lost a lot of key leadership figures. We also were just in the same cycle of COVID, playing Call of Duty. It just was not fun. Uh, these guys were built for land, built for events, built for the thrill, and they have had that taken away from them abruptly. A lot of players as well got injured last year and then the sort of mentality started just get checking out early of the season. So we had to replace players quite a bit because they just weren't wanting to play. And yeah, it was a real nightmare. Yeah. I had an interesting question about sort of that roster, like you losing those leadership uh, people. And we had someone on from League of Legends, the League of Legends manager um, last podcast. Um, yeah. And he was talking about how often when he they're building a roster like it's often the same sort of characters like they're so used to being the guy in their other teams like when they go to like their big team for example as Fnatic um they've got like huge egos uh and like everyone has the same ego and often like oh, yeah, when, everyone's everyone's everyone's, everyone's cutting paste in cod too don't worry yeah. these esports these high level esports you will see a lot of like you know copy paste personalities and they're all the same egos it's interesting because, like, yeah, I, I make the ties to traditional sports. Like, we work a lot in football, um, and yeah. I in, I did my master's um, dissertation on sort of the qualities, and they mentioned, like, the coaches mentioned, they like a balance of characters, not too much of the same person. And it's interesting how that differs in esports. Do you feel like a balance of characters would work, or do you just feel like just get the skill level as high as possible uh, and see if we can get that to sort of gel? Unlucky, balance of characters. Um, I've seen guys with majors over here just by simply vibing. Yeah. <laughs> but but when it comes to the big stage world championships, the biggest it doesn't work for the world the world championship for some reason doesn't work. Skill the skill level the second one they'll turn that one that one works for worlds because no team has ever vibed at champs and won it 
they literally okay. had like, months of drill practice and skill levels. But that's because, like you said, the character building came months before these tournaments came. These are like these are like these are like the first the, like, the first base meetings of meeting people. So like let's say let's give it a five month like time frame from like a big old event to when you first meet. You spend a month of that character building, right? Month of like playing, getting to know, a month adjusting to the competitive, everyone's needs and wants and aspirations as competitive players. Then it's just three months of just strategy building, game planning, um, tactical thinking. That literally is all it is. Oh, and tracking all of those three months, uh, sorry, three to five months, and not holding everyone accountable to their own personal desires because you want to win. Like regardless, you might have different different look-ins from you know the same the same argument and really struggle to see eye to eye at times. You want the same thing, and I can see. Uh, and as the coach, this is where the coach comes in. He bridges the eyesight. He puts your glasses on for you. He can help you actually see what's in front of you, uh, and sometimes recognize where you guys are seeing these problems from your own personal points of view. Okay. Do you uh, think well, Do you think teams have that time, like that five months period? Like, do you think they have? Like oh. most teams in the scene, do you think they even oh, have that privilege? No, they, they never will. That's the problem, right? That, that, that's why that's why the pro scene exists because yeah, they can yeah, yeah. enforce contracts and all this and that. But the teams that last the longest around that time, they will have the best systems in place to win because their systems are not just psychological; they are literally in game. They know how everyone. Like, the level of trust and chemistry reflects it. Yeah. Time is like a, a a marination phase for any. FPS player, let alone a mobile player like in League of Dota. You need to have time with these people. You can be in different circles and that will class as time. It wouldn't be as intense. It wouldn't really count towards your overall time of getting to know and getting to trust because although like, let's say like 10, 20 players are in a circle and there's five teams, like, you'll of course know all 20 of those players and you can pick and choose and slot in and that however you want. You won't really know what they want to do. It'll be quite an edge. I mean, of course, you'll know how to play like fundamental COD, like, you know, like the textbook, but you won't want to vary it to win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it too risky? Yeah. Okay. And then specifically in in COD, um, the role of a coach and the role of an analyst, what are some of the main demands you felt um, were, were the main ones sort of uh, when you was in those roles? Coach is like this, the biggest... Co- coaching in COD is also a thankless job to get off the rip. It's a, it's a thankless job. You have to have a personality type for that as well. You need to be selfless. Yeah. Very nurturing, very much a nurturing, selfless person. Okay. Like a healer, if like, it's like a chakra person, a genuine healer of people. Okay. Um, okay, so the three main things when it comes to coaching, um, you have to be uh, organized, literally like a, like, a, like, like a playbook, like a talking playbook as always be as a coach. Um, in terms of input, you can't input in Search and Destroy as a coach because that's S&D teams and they're literally, the players keep that all close to their chest. You have to solely rely on how good they are and then watch them on the day and go, you're good, you're really bad. Which, though it sounds like really black and white, it is. You can't really enforce any strats, but you can just sit down and watch stuff together as a team and then just start to generalize ideas. You know, copy some strats from other pro teams and just apply them. Even watch other esports, like I told you, CSGO and Valorant, that works as well as well. For some of the you know, bomb situations, like where we're planting or taking, lots of things work. Um, that, that really is it. Those are the two that just sort of strike me um, in terms of that one. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, look, I, I suppose like we've mentioned, we've mentioned burnout and that's been a big sort of topic that we've spoke about on this podcast in terms of sort of avoiding burnout and a huge thing is mm-hmm. sort of self-care and disconnecting sometimes. Like, how yeah. do you like to uh, disconnect from, from esports uh, in COD? I play a guitar. Okay. It's a great. It's a great um, music. Any form of musicianship is really good. Uh, same way gym as well is really good. Um, yeah. Gym is definitely good for, as well for your mental health. 
in terms of all things win, uh, when, especially when you're competing at that level. Um, not love players to go to gym. Uh, I'd say gym nutrition and guitar. I'm really into nutrition. I'm really into eating very healthy. I'm very into cooking good food that tastes good. So gastronomy, um, which is an interesting one for a car player, uh, music and exercise. Do you still do you still like play the sports that you played like football, boxing? Oh, here and there, uh, boxing. I do like a, probably like a spar a year or two. You know, just 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 spice things up. You know, yeah. I've I've no real drive there anymore, and it shows. But I do like to get in the ring a couple of times. Uh, football as well. There's a match uh, where I need to be filled in like once every blue moon, like literally like once twice a year, and yeah. I'll go and play because I'm still in good shape. Yeah. Sure. What position? Uh, I played. I played a t uh, central attacking midfielder. I was a playmaker. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't um, shoot, but I could pass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You'd be providing me and John because we're both strikers. So. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll need you two up front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need to set that up. Um, but yeah, no, there's a good fight coming up uh, in boxing. Eubank Smith. So that that should be good to watch. Uh, I think it's either this weekend or next it's weekend. It's the one where it's one where Eubank literally saying like, "Oh, I'm f I only forty percent to beat Liam Smith." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's an interesting summer. character, Eubank. Um, yeah, uh, but no, in, in, I suppose in terms of like esports, I, I wanted to ask: Have you got any tips um, for any aspiring? For example, like I feel like a lot of players that listen feel like the only career that they can sort of have is playing. But there's so many other aspects that you can sort of go into. What would be um, some tips? You, you sort of have touched okay. on everything. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so when it comes to esports and looking for work, you only see 10% of the esports jobs available to you through YouTube, right? The another 90% you'll find on LinkedIn on genuine work because esports has grown into an industry and it's still growing into an industry where it's quite corporate and business orientated. So if you have your appropriate degrees, like say marketing, business, law, um, history whatever really even sports science even like sports psychology you can still find jobs in esports i mean bear in mind the esports industry literally is a point where you need to be proven so you'll find lots of unpaid work and volunteering for the first year if you try and then after that when you start proving your worth and getting a nice portfolio show reel whatever you will eventually find the roles that will just stem along and it's always a process of one to another to another you'll feel like nothing really is happening and then one day it all just sort of happens you're like wow what's what, 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 what i was expecting this yeah. and that'll be the start of your career genuinely yeah. it sounds uh, sounds familiar uh, <laughs> but yeah no in terms of like your career what's sort of the future for you what what are some goals and ambitions you want to go on and achieve Mm. After I finished up coaching and took on um, presenting, I really love presenting. Presenting definitely is a career I could do for 10, 20 years. I just love talking, telling stories, um, painting pictures for all sorts of different teams and how they sort of originated, what they what they can do on the stage. Yeah. Um, hopefully go into broadcasting. Um, when I finish up uni, hopefully go into broadcasting full-time, um, being a presenter, commentator, host, any role really. But I definitely suit the stage roles more. I'm quite good on stage um, and hosting events and just, you know, Asking questions, lots of questions, interviewing in this winter way. So going to that full time, um, travel, doing that around the world, uh, Europe, UK, America, wherever really, Asia, <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah. Just getting opportunities abroad. I want to try and at least do 15 to 20 events this year in my second year of uh, university. So 15 yes. to 20 events, definitely. And yeah. I just the thing I think that really is all I really care about. That's all I know. That's all I really want to, uh, that's all I really want to do. I think that's all I can do. No, yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that happening. Like you're, you're really good to chat too, so I can see why you'd be a good presenter. Um, what are you studying, by the way? Esports. Okay, 
Is there anything specific or the degree is called esports? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what do you cover? Yeah. What, what are some topics you cover, like in terms of different roles in esports, the business? Oh I guess, no, 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 not even. There's- the business, the the business. Biz- is purely oh, it's purely yeah. a business degree and marketing degree so we study a bit of law we look at contract agreements uh we look at um presenting so event management we look at um how to literally set up online and offline events from the scratch from the ground up what the process is to that um we look at um overall business ideas like the ethics of esports you know the um the minorities in esports have like ethics essays um you know explain how important women are and vital to the ecosystem of esports and why it needs to grow like drastically in the next 10 years mm-hmm. if it becomes sustainable yeah um and this year was second year the modules we have our online events uh, which basically is running a tournament uh, running two tournaments in two semesters and you get graded based on how well they run uh, that, that, that can stem from who's how many sign up what sponsors you get on board um how the production is literally is a range of things but they grade it in the university system Okay. We also had an essay as well on events and conventions explaining like, I mean, this is one I recently wrote. It literally was a 3,500 worder and it was on like, oh, so go to this event or any event you want this year and write about it and explain its portfolio, like the psychological sides of like, why do you guys fan over events? Why do they want to go? And in short, it's basically just writing like a load of like science models and site models from the 60s to now and fandom, and just talking about different things that everyone like loved at the time wanted to go and see. And there was one on motorsport, which basically we looked at type one, two, and three sim races, explained the immersion, how people got really invested in that and wanted to play it all day and all night and loved it. And the difference from the last 20 years of, um, you know, player immersion in games starting from like driver in 2000 to F1 2022. And yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. I did some uh, guest lecturing at the esports college of london just so then oh yeah i've heard about them they're brand new yeah, yeah. i literally um we, we have a guy as well here called um lee he's a brand new lecturer and he literally is, a, is like a sports psych um he's oh, very cool. similar to you john he's really similar to you he wants to get into esports but i'm like you, you need to have like a network established because you come from because you come from like traditional sport his one's football as well like you need to go to events and meet people yeah yeah what are your sort of I guess not tips, but like, what's your thoughts on, because obviously a lot of sports psychologists are sort of transitioning into the esports space because they are, yeah. Because their expertise, their knowledge, their competence is applicable, I, I would say, to the. It's really, it works over here, but you have to love gaming from the ground up. You can't just be a strict football lover and come into esports. It wouldn't work. You'll flop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about. Let's say you're an older practitioner coming into the space. Would that work? Would you say you need to be very open-minded as an older practitioner? You have to have lots of notable credibility of you being a man that's very forward-thinking, man that's someone that literally presents ideas and accepts all people, understands. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is the only person that comes to mind in terms of like you know that level of notoriety and trying very hard to understand everyone and everything, even with old-fashioned views and ideologies, still presenting a debatable argument that is not toxic that needs yeah. to be the older person coming into this scene because yeah. they still see us as like gaming on our asses all day that really is a huge, is a huge counterpart yeah. yeah i agree um but no in terms of like a sort of last question to sort of end the podcast we have like this new segment where we ask the previous guest to ask the new guest 
a question um, and they didn't know who the future guest was going to be. So it's sort of a random question. And then you right. have to ask the next guest the question. Sure. So last week we had Chris on, who is the um, League of Legends team manager at Fnatic. And he asked, what would you do if you weren't working in esports? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Chris. Be <laughs> <laughs> a footballer. You can share this as well. Um, no, not even. <laughs> no, not even a footballer. Um, if I wasn't working in esports, I'd be on stage as a musician. There you go. I'm well, very good at guitar. Were there any inspirations in it for Jimmy, that? Jimi Hendrix. I love them. I, I, I just, uh, I, got, I was very much, uh, very immersed. Well, actually, I actually stopped a guitar when I was 19, but I got very immersed into it the last two years. So um, I've just been playing. I like um, I like songs that are hard to play. Like Jimi Hendrix sounds really cool. Um, so it's John Mayer, Bob Gilmore, lots of old players. And even now in the recent times, you have Tim Henson, you have Bruno Fernandez or Garcia, and you have Jared Dimes. Okay. Lots of guitarists that aren't poppy, like modern, um, but lots of like, high, high-level players that can just play like thousand notes an hour yeah yeah okay and then in terms of your question for the next guest what would that be <sighs> what were your parents reactions to you saying that you wanted to get a start career in esports like let's 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 phrase it like that like what were your parents first thoughts how supportive are they of you of your career that is some good, that's a really good question <laughs> that is a yeah. really good one i asked oh, yeah. him <laughs> You gotta tell Chris though, screw him, because that was a really hard one to ask. <laughs> shout out, Chris. Shout out, Chris. Yeah. We're thinking of like clipping him out and putting him on social media. So do, like, do that one. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. But no, uh, thanks so much for coming on and, and spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure like the goals and aspirations that you've got, like you'll go on and achieve them because just the conversation today was like so eye-opening. You're so knowledgeable on COD as well, which uh was really good to listen to. Like breaking down a game, I think. It's probably been the best podcast in terms of that. So yeah. really appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you. No worries, boys. I'll definitely see you for a pint soon. You know for how sure. it is. Yeah. But where are you sort of based in the UK? I'm based in Bognor Regis, which is the south of England. I'm in uh, the Midlands, Leicester. So uh, so yeah, no, oh. when, when John's next over, we could we should definitely arrange something. Don't worry, it's all good. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's what one other one I was thinking. It was personality-wise, COD guys you take out for a drink. League of Legends players, you'd um, you'd order a takeaway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Oh, wait, before you start off, Connie, rate Ollie's outro as a host, uh, as a you know, rate it. His outro. Rate, he's about to do it. Rate, rate okay. It. Do, it, do it. Do it. Do it. And I'll give uh, you my honest assessment. That's a fair, that's a, that's a fair uh, quote, no, isn't it? Now, now the pressure's <laughs> on. Actually, Ollie, hold on a second, Ollie. I got my notebook right here. Oh yeah, my right god! Right here, god. I'll write down some notes for you. We'll, we'll... It's not going to be that long. Oh, no. <laughs> here we, here we go then. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share this with your friends or someone you feel will benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions or guests you'd like us to get on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be in the description of the YouTube video or find us at Master in the Mind podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>